All right, what's up, Freedom Chasers? If you want to learn the secrets of a 25-year-old millionaire land flipper, we have the show for you because he's gonna show us exactly how he did it right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. All right, guys, meet Hunter Pagachnik, land investor and direct mail marketer, who's currently selling one to two deals a week absolutely crushing it in land just like most of the land people i speak to i tell you i'm in the wrong game all the time so hunter um, why don't we just have a broad strokes overview of your strategy we'll kind of dive deeper into it cool yeah thanks for having me on uh, like i told you this is my first podcast so we'll see how it goes but just wanted to talk about land because that's uh what i enjoy doing um i got into it a few years ago uh before that i was in like wholesaling and uh, flipping houses. So I kind of transitioned over to land uh, and I found it to be more enjoyable for me. Um, but yeah, just starting off, with like an, I can go with an overview of what I do. Uh, I buy and sell vacant land and there's a lot of different strategies that it that comes into play. Uh, so one, I'm buying it in cash and then I will either sell it straight out to the end buyer or I'm selling it on a contract for deed. And those are kind of like the two uh, exits that I have with uh, vacant land. But um, yeah, where where do you want to start at? I can dive into the whole process or? For sure. Why don't we start it with acquisition? So so you mentioned like you're kind of a direct mail expert. So why don't we get into your expertise there? Because I'm sure that's where you manage or you get a large portion or maybe even all of your leads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I when I first started with land, I was doing cold calling and it worked we did get a lot of good leads uh i had a team of people that was calling for me and the reason i stopped doing that is i was paying them commission and the commission was a lot higher in cost compared to direct mail uh, the direct mailers that i was sending out so i transitioned to completely doing direct mail which is what i do now and i don't have any other lead source really besides direct mail um so how I go about targeting properties that I'm buying is there's kind of a list of criteria that you have to go through. First thing is I want it to be in a good location. Of course, it's real estate, so real location, location, location. I, I do mostly about an hour to two hours outside of a big city um, because the properties that I'm selling are residential, but also recreational. So it's going to be for the cabins, uh, hunting. It's going to be for camping, uh, stuff like that. So. I don't buy and sell city lots. You can do that, but that's a completely different method of flipping land. I'm doing more of this type of uh, this type of land. So uh, how I do that is I find the area and then the zoning is the next biggest thing. So you want to be able to know if you can camp on it, know if you can put a tiny house on it, know if you can put a cabin, what's the minimum square footage on a house if you're going to build it. Uh, so those are the, the next big things. Me personally, I'm looking for a place that you can camp on the property, uh, and you can build a tiny house and it's Airbnb friendly. Um, and if it, all of those three zoning things check out, then I've kind of determined, okay, it's within a good area. It has, um, those zoning requirements, and then I'm going to actually go and start finding those properties. Uh, so then from there, I'm just kind of this is like what I enjoy doing is I'm just looking at the map and I'm looking for parcels that look like they'd be good to sell. So I'm usually doing half an acre uh, to a couple acres is my prime target. 
and I can get into all these reasons later, but basically those I found to have the best margin. If you go too big, it's going to get too much money is going to be invested in that property and your margin isn't there. Uh, if you go too small, uh, you're just not going to have as many buyers. So about half an acre to a couple acres is what I found. Um, so once I have all those different things, I create a list, uh, and I use software to do this. So I'll, I'll pull a list of all those different parcels and then I'll scrub that list. Uh, I'm looking for things like, is the owner living next to the property? Cause if somebody has a house or a cabin, but a vacant parcel right next to it, they're probably not going to sell it cause they're using it for their yard or something like that. But if the owner has a vacant piece of land and they don't live within the same state, especially, or they live a couple hours away, they're more, more likely to sell it compared to that. So I'll scrub the list for a bunch of different things like that. Um, and that's where I send out my direct mailers. Uh, my website's directrei.com and that's what I started uh, after I was using other people's mailers, just using like postcards and things like that. And I was like, I think I can make a better mailer than what other people are doing. Uh, so my mailers, what I do is I want to make it look specifically like I'm buying this property and it's going to stand out from just like a postcard. So my letters, what I do is I have them, they're one, they're smaller letters. So there's not just like a regular, uh, like bill that you get in the mail. It's like a smaller letter, the actual message that's inside of it's folded up. There's a real stamp on it. It has the handwritten, uh, address on the front with return address. Um, and I have the, it's like an XY robots that write that out for you. Um, so it's really easy to do. It's automated in that regard. And then inside the message, um, like I have AB tested on what's going to get a good response rate versus not. Um, but overall, when I'm sending out mailers, I'm getting anywhere from at least 10% to 30% of the people are getting back to me. It sounds super high. And that's because one, that scrubbing that I do on the list, it's scrubbed so well that it's going to get a high response rate. But to land us overall, you have a better response rate because if somebody owns a piece of vacant land, chances are they probably inherited it from somebody. Uh, they bought it 20 years ago and they were going to build a cabin on it. And then they just decided not to, or they never got around to it. Um, so when you're doing land, you're going to get a lot higher response rate. So that's where if I'm sending out, you only have to do a couple hundred mailers and then I'll get back 30, 40 people that are interested in selling the property to me. And then I can go from there and see which one I'm going to get the most money out of. So okay. uh, that's kind of the acquisition process summarized again, it's going, finding the area, finding the zoning, um, and then actually looking at each individual property and some mailers. And from there, it's just filtering on which ones I want to buy and which ones I don't. Very cool. So it feels like most the, the most important part of the process is, is your buy criteria. Like once you get that nailed down and then you scrub it like that, obviously that, that makes a lot of sense. If somebody owns the land right next to their house, they probably want to keep it. Um, <laughs> that's probably like 90% of the success right there. It feels like, and making sure the mailer says the right thing. Of course, as you AB split test, you could do that forever, by the way, and always get better. Um, I'm curious about this half acre to two acres. Um, I don't know if anybody said an acreage preference thus far, but I do know a lot of people targeting much, much larger. Um, like they'll go after like 600 acres, like in particular, like Texas, and then they'll subdivide it and then they'll wholesale the whole thing all at once. And it sounds like a massive job, but it takes them six months and then they make like a million bucks and like a $10,000 a month in cash flow and one deal. And it's like, oh, cool. 
Um, so what 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 attracted you to the half acre to the two acres? Yeah, uh, the reason I do that is there's a few things, uh, but like I said, the price point when I'm buying a lot of properties, I'm basing my offer off of what the tax assessed value is, and properties like that that are vacant and they're in some small county in the middle of nowhere, practically they're next to a lake or something, but um, the tax assessed value is going to be low on that. So I'm able to put in a lower offer because a lot of people, um, they're just going to base off like how much money they go look and like, oh, it says it's worth, you know, $2,000 or something. I'll sell it for two grand. Um, and that's as much as they want. They just want tax assessed value. So when you do those smaller particles, um, one, it gets me easier purchase price. Uh, and then second, when I go and sell it, if it's a bigger parcel, it's going to cost more money. I'm going to have to pay a little bit more money for it. And I'm selling directly to the person who's going to use the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want it to be in a price point that most people are able to afford. So I'm able to do volume. Because like uh, you said, like I'm doing like one or two a week. So my goal is to do high volume instead of bigger deals, is to do high volume on these deals. Um, so if I'm buying it in that couple acres, I'm able to get it for a cheap price and then sell it to somebody very quickly because most people are able to afford it. Um, and going into that as well, like the numbers that, that I'm buying for, like my purchase price is anywhere from a couple hundred dollars up to five or $6,000 for those type of properties. If it's an actual lake property, then I'll be paying more, maybe up, up to 20,000 in total if it's on a lake. Um, but for the most part, most of the properties I'm buying for a couple hundred dollars up to five or 6,000. Okay, let me pause you a second. So you mentioned um, you focus on the tax assessed value. Are you offering the assessed value? Because that tends to be low. I mean, it's low by definition in most counties, most of them that I'm aware of, it's intentionally low. (laughs) But um, do you give them the taxed value or do you even go for a discount off of that? It's like, okay, so the assessor says it's $2,000, I'll give you 1,500 bucks. And then Um, it's worth like 10. Yeah, usually I'll, I'll, it depends on what the value is. Uh, but yeah, usually I'll give them the tax value on it. Sometimes if I think it's a little high, like sometimes a parcel, one next door could be worth 5,000 on the assessed value and the other one is worth like 8,000. I'll offer the other person 5,000 and just say it's what I paid for one next door. So uh, um, some I, I usually don't do much higher than the assessed value. Uh, it's a rare occasion that I do that, but mostly it's the assessed value that that I base the offer off of because it makes sense for the, the seller. It's That's what the county values it at. And um, sure, they could get more money, um, obviously, if they go and sell it. But these people have usually, for the most part, owned it for 20 years, and they don't even think about the property ever. So it's just kind of like, yeah, just take it off my plate, and it seems like a fair offer. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's curious because like I've like for single family houses, like that'll be a, a way for me to what is the word that I was taught? Oh, it doesn't matter, but I'll throw the assessed value out there. And I'll just say it like, hey, it looks like your your house is assessed at $70,000. And then I'll just yeah, listen yeah. to their response. And they might be like, yeah, that's not what it's worth, though. And I'm like, yeah, I know that we both know that. I'm just saying I'm just giving you information, man. Um, it's a good way to make an offer without making an offer that's really low. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would assume, I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably typically the case with land too. So if you just give them the land offer or the assessed value, but they take it, 
all of a sudden you're basically doing that same strategy, but you're getting offers accepted off of it far more often. And it's probably below market value, right? Probably nine times out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, usually I ask people first too, like what they want for it. Um, and a lot of times people even ask under the assessed value. Uh, so it's just, I usually ask them. And then if they say they don't have an offer, then it's when I give them the assessed value. And like you said, it's just kind of like a good place to start to throw out an offer. Um, and because it has the validity of the county is assessed at this value, it's kind of a good place to start from. And it's, it's at least good for having a conversation from that point. Absolutely. So you're sending all this mail out. It's a very targeted list, very intentional with the way that you do it. It's a handwritten thing, not even though it's a machine. But so you have these incoming leads. Are you handling yeah. all these leads? How big is your team now? Because you mentioned you had commission agents before. It doesn't sound like you have them anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. You're making so, over a million bucks a year. How many How many people you got over there? Because I bet you it's a small number. Yep. Yeah, it's just uh, two people. I have one person for the marketing, uh, for the sales side. Um, so when we're selling the properties, one person handles that. Uh, one person just helps me, is my assistant with whatever various things come up. And then I still handle the inbound leads because I like to have a hand on how much I'm spending on each property. So that's what I, my main role is, is on the acquisition side. Um, for the real estate side, at least, this is what I'm talking about. The two people is uh, on that. So I like to be able to see how much the properties, but uh, yeah, it's pretty easy when you get mailers, you don't have to manage a team of people cold calling and giving you leads. It's just, you have the mailer sent out and then uh, leads all come in to either my phone or my email, and then I can filter through there. So basically you just, you send out a bunch of mail, you pick up the phone, you start throwing out assessed value numbers and some people say yes. And then you hand it to your dispo guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a but pretty yeah. sweet life. Like how many hours, how many hours a day are you working, man? <laughs> uh, on the real estate side, I only spend two or three hours probably a day. Are your mail takes a lot more time? I imagine so. I'm I'm gonna get into that next. Don't worry. Um, but are your two guys or, or guys or gals? Are they local or are you using VAs? Uh, I have one VA, one local. Man, that is a low overhead business. Okay. Um. <laughs> Very cool. So you were the first person that I've spoken to in the land game that that's investing in the northern side. So you're you're investing heavily in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Um, why target those areas? It's where I'm from. So it's where I started off. Uh, how I first got into land is like I said, I was wholesaling before, and I bought a lake property for myself i wanted to put like a tiny house cabin on it just for like personal use and i didn't realize the zoning didn't allow for like a cabin a smaller cabin to be built on the property uh, it had a 1500 minimum square foot building requirement so i sold that property and i made 30 grand off of it and i was like oh that was a lot easier than having to go through everything else so i just kind of transitioned everything over from wholesaling to apply those same tactics to doing land. That's a, um, that's a happy accident, right? It's like, Oh, I bought yeah. this. I can't use it. Oh, I made 30 grand. What? Um, <laughs> I 
I mean, it makes sense. I wish that happened to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Um, all right, cool. So let's talk about disposition just a little bit because I love this idea of selling the dream. So, so what's your vision of selling the dream? Because I remember one, I, this guy, PJ Riley, he's like, I like to go there. I like to take a picture with like a deer there and try to get something super fancy. This other guy would call that like the hero picture. Because, you know, that, that's going to appeal really, really strongly to the right person. How do you sell the dream? Yeah, so the biggest thing when you're looking at land, especially on like the MLS or really anywhere when you're looking at buying land online, the, the pictures aren't very good. It's going to be like a picture of... Uh, when you're in like the north, there's going to be a picture on the side of the road and there's going to be some trees there and it's like a forest and you're not really sure what you're buying. You're not sure like what it looks like if you were to go into the property or anything like that. Um, so the first thing when I started off, I think to help set myself apart and why I'm able to charge more money for properties is because I take very good pictures and I take very good videos. So all the properties are tons of photos on each property. There's video walking through the property. So you can see what it's like if you're able to walk into the property. There's drone video of it. So you can see above and you can see kind of the topography of the property. Um, and you're actually seeing what you're buying. You don't even have to go check out the property uh, compared to other people. Or it's just, like I said, a forest that you're looking at. So that's the first thing um, is being able to see what they're buying. Uh, the second thing is when I'm selling properties, there's kind of two routes that I go down. One, once I buy it, I'll just list it for sale right away. Uh, somebody wants to buy it and I make money off of it. That's great. If it sits for a little bit longer, then I'll go in and I'll actually make uh, changes to it. So I'll put like a gravel driveway into the property or I'll clear out uh, an area where the person would be building or camping um, or putting a cabin or something like that. So then when the people come to look at the property, they can pull into the property, they can pull up to the lake and they can see like, okay, yeah, I can imagine like where I'm going to be building. I can understand what it looks like once it's cleaned out. And that's the value that you're getting out of that is so high where it only costs a couple thousand dollars to put a gravel driveway in. Um, but that, the value of that compared to just a forest that somebody has to do the work of doing that, um, you're able to charge a lot more money just for doing that. Uh, and that helps sell the dream, like I said, because then once you're taking pictures, you can, you can position, you can, if you even want to, you can edit in like a, a camper or something in the photo, like an RV onto the property and somebody can see that for scale. Um, I've parked RVs on properties before, uh, just for pictures. So somebody can see what it looks like with that on the property. Uh, so selling the idea of what they're able to do with that property is part of selling the dream. And the last part of that is the zoning. It all comes back to zoning. When I'm looking at purchasing the property, uh, I want to make sure that you're able to do those, those certain things of zoning, camping on it, tiny houses, et cetera. Um, but when I'm selling it, I'm also selling that as part of the offer. So when I'm listing it for sale, it says you can build a tiny house on this property. You can Airbnb on this property. You can blah, 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 whatever you can do on the property. I'm making sure that I include that in the description because a lot of places don't allow you to have uh, a tiny house on the property or they don't allow you to leave a camper on the property year round. It might have some restriction where you have to have a primary unit, a house on the property, and then you can have your camper on the property or you can leave your camper there for six months of the year. But 
some places allow you to keep it year round. So if you're able to do that, that's what a lot of people are looking for. So putting all those things together is having the good pictures, having the good description, and then telling people what they're able to do with it. Um, and this kind of sells the dream of, oh yeah, if I buy this, it'll be great for camping on. This will be great for camping on, et cetera. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. It's always pictures. So, I mean, I understand that. Um, <laughs> the perceived value of a gravel driveway, as you said, is obviously much higher than the cost. So <laughs> that's an easy one. That's a no-brainer. Um, very cool stuff, man. So let's talk about what you're doing in the direct mail game. So, I mean, this is probably more of a passion project. It doesn't sound like you need a ton of money. So um, obviously you're looking to help people. Um, what yeah, else yeah. Is, are you getting from the direct mail game? Why was that the choice, the avenue that you decided to go down next instead of trying to scale higher on your land mail? Land business, yeah. excuse um, me. So I started direct mail after, like I said, I was using other people's mailers and I thought that why don't I create my own mailers because I want to create something that has a better response rate and I'm able to control them better on what I'm sending out. Uh, so I just started sending my own mailers over time, those are successful. There was other people, other people that I work with and other real estate investors who send out mailers and it's like, Hey, I can send your, some out for you as well. Um, I have the equipment now to print them off if you want me to send some out for you. So I started doing it for other people. Um, and then I decided to just create a business out of it cause it was, it works. So, um, <laughs> I started that, uh, pretty recently. Um, so it's still a smaller venture and I, just, I enjoy it because one it feeds into the real estate investing which still makes more money for me the the land does um but the actual mail marketing i'm able to like i said test everything out see what is going to get a better response rate um so it helps me and then i'm also able to pay for my own marketing by subsidizing it with other people's marketing so it kind of all plays together to have like an ecosystem of creating those two businesses uh, side by side. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Obviously, if you're helping other people market for land, you're gathering a lot of data and the more data you have, the better. Um, that is obviously very true. And I'm, I don't know if you're testing more things in terms of A-B tests, because again, you could A-B test forever. You're never going to get fully optimized, um, but if, I mean, if you have something that works, you don't want to kill it too at the same time. Um, <laughs> I could see the opportunities of this business. It also sounds like it's a creative outlet for you. It sounds like you're enjoying it a little bit more. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. One uh, tip, if anybody is sending out their own mailers, one thing that I've tested pretty recently that's had a really good response rate, if anybody wants to send out mail, is... In the actual envelope, so the letter that you're sending out, if you're, if you're handwriting your own, um, which you can do when you start just writing your own letters and turn on TV or something at night and write out a bunch of letters, they're all going to be the same. So you kind of get into a, a habit of doing it. And that's what I did when I first started was just handwriting my own letters. Um, but if you do it on a notepad for something local in the area, so like, for example, if you were in Minnesota, you'd have the Minnesota Vikings and you'd have a notepad and you write it on there. Uh, pretty much everybody that, that got that letter that was interested in selling it, like they had no question that like I was a real person that was trying to buy it. It's not just like a piece of spam mail in, in the mail. So if you're doing that using like something local on your marketing, where it just looks like somebody pulled up a notepad and wrote a note on it, um, 
that's had a really high response rate for anybody that wants to try sending out mail. That's a very clever idea. Um, I like that. I mean, you could use that for anything, really, now that I yeah, think yeah. about it, because most people have some sort of business thing. It makes sense to use a Vikings pad, because guess what? If you're sending something to Minnesota, there's a pretty good likelihood that guy's a Vikings fan, too. So they might get some affinity just seeing that. It's like, oh, cool, this guy likes the Vikings. Um, <laughs> that's a clever strategy. Cool. You got any more like that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just making your letter look the most unique possible. So like I said, with ours, we have whatever it is going to be in the envelope. It's going to be folded up, so there's some volume to it. You want to make it look, it depends what you're Like a lumpy mailed campaign? personal so i make it look like a piece of real mail um so you'll have a regular stamp on it the stamp doesn't have to be on square in the corner it can just be like somebody posted a stamp onto the letter um handwritten and then you even don't have to hand have the handwritten uh return label like if you have some labels that you'd put as a return address label you can use a sticker and save your time on that that we saw doesn't really have much of an effect on the response rate as long as you have the handwritten front of letter and a stamp, then you're going to get nearly the highest response rate as possible. So yeah, just make it look real. So you're saying basically if somebody was super broke right now, they can just buy a bunch of stamps, a bunch of envelopes, a Vikings notepad, and then look up some addresses and just start sending mailers. Do you put prices on your mailers? A lot of people put prices, or are you just put, I'm interested in buying? Um, no, I don't put prices on mine, and I know some people do. I just haven't. If it works, I don't, don't break I, it. I, I mean, I, if it works, don't fix it. I get it. <laughs> that's why I haven't done it. Cool. So but, let's talk about how you've automated this. Obviously, you have some sort of robot. Do you have, like, this is yours? Is this like hanging out in your garage? You just have this robot you could turn on whenever you want, or how does that work? Yeah, um, I could grab it. There's one sitting on the ground right here if you want to see it. Let's check it out, man. I'm intrigued. Cool. All right. So I have a few different variations, but for the most part, they look something like this. Um, this one's not put together completely right now, but this would be like an X arm, and there'd be a Y arm, and then there'd just be a pen that would right on the letter like that um and then you get a bunch of these and they all write letters for you but that's basically what i was using for handwriting them how much there, how much do those bad boys cost um this one was 300 dollars. i've been trying out there's a bunch of different models so i've been trying out a bunch of different ones um, the downside with these is you have to have somebody who replaces the, the letter on it every time it writes it, but that's why you have multiples. So they just kind of go through the line and, and, uh, repa replace the letter on it each time. Um, dude, your overhead has to be so small. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you got like, I don't know, you got, let's say you have five to 10 of those machines and you just have somebody switching out the notepads basically. I mean, it's a boring ass job but it's, it's probably not a high paid job. <laughs> so it's, um, the margins on the letters are pretty good. So I'm able to pay good for somebody to do that. Um, oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. Cause that's a and boring job. <laughs> they don't have to stay focused completely on it. What does a typical mailing campaign cost you? I mean, besides the cost of postage, I mean, it sounds like it's a very minimal cost. Um, 
when I charge people a dollar nineteen to two nineteen, depending on the type of letter. Um, and the reason behind that is the dollar nineteen ones are going to be the ones that are more just printed. So not everything is handwritten. Like I have printed letters as well. They still have the customization to them where it's going to be in like the smaller envelope. It's going to have a stamp on it, <clears throat> etc. But the the pricier ones are going to be the handwritten ones. Um, and that's where we have that range. And there's also just different variations within those uh, in between there. Uh, I Like I said, I even if you have a handwritten letter inside, the response rate isn't going to be that much better as long as you just have that, that front of the letter is addressed in hand, handwriting. Uh, and that one I think is like a dollar forty or something like that. So you don't even have to go up to the 219 to get the best response. Like just having like a dollar forty uh, per letter is what I, what I, that's what I use when on my mailers. I only use the handwritten ones for properties that I very want. So you, you just handwrite on the envelope and then you print the other ones yeah. typically, but you yeah, offer yeah. handwritten, handwritten. Yep. Yeah. So we offer it. Um, you could use that for the properties that are a super scrubbed list that, you know, you have a high chance of getting uh, but otherwise like the it's a small percentage difference in the response rate where you might as well just do the cheaper option so you're telling me if i got a list of data i spent 600 bucks on two little machines one was my envelope machine one was my letter machine and i just kind of i mean literally just while i was working because they would sit right next to me on my desk and just have a mindset of like let's swap these out every once in a while like even if i was doing it once every 10 minutes, that's six cards an hour. My yep. cost is 600 bucks one time and then paper and, and postage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, uh, and data, I guess, because you're scrubbing the list, but I mean, is the data expensive? I'm guessing it's cheaper than single family data simply because less people are seeking it out. Um, the nice thing about when you're sending mailers, you don't actually have to skip trace it because it's just you're pulling the, the addresses online. So. so you could just look for houses or you could just look for parcels that are interesting and then write them yeah, down it, or put them in an Excel spreadsheet and then. Yeah. Yeah. There's different softwares you can use. I mean, a cheap, easy one to get started is landglide.com. And that's basically just a software you can go and click on each property. And every property that you want, you can click on it, add it to your list, and then export it. And it will export the addresses uh, of the owner. And then you can print them out. You said Land Glide? Yep, Land Glide. Hmm. I'm just super interested now because, like, the, there's like no cost to this. <laughs> there's like no cost at all. Like, Anybody could just like be hanging out like, and you said 10 to 30% response rate. What is your close rate? Uh, out of those, I'd probably say I buy about a third of them. So if I get, if I send out a hundred mailers and I get 15 people that reply back to me, I'd probably buy about five of them. <laughs> what? <laughs> So your costs are like, you're literally, you have less than $1,000 in startup costs. If you send a hundred letters, let's say it costs you a dollar each, which it costs you less than a dollar each, but let's just be liberal. You spent a hundred dollars and you bought up to five properties. Yeah. That's why I switched from direct from 
cold calling to direct mail because I was paying 20% commission uh, on the properties. So it's a lot higher than 100 bucks. <laughs> My Lord. And what do you average per deal, if you don't mind sharing? You could decline that if you want. Yeah. Um, like I said, so I'll buy anywhere from couple hundred to five or six grand and then my average sale price is 15 to 25 so 10 to 20 ish yeah yeah it's an average once you get those like properties that are nicer obviously those ones sell anywhere from 60 to 100 and then pay, you know like i said up to like 20 for them but those are rare not get as many of those and it'll take a little bit longer to sell. Every time I talk to you land people, I just feel like I've been doing it wrong my whole life. 100 bucks for five deals. So you're telling me you could take 100 bucks and make 50 grand? Yeah, it'd be on the, be on the good end. But it'd be possible. on the good end, but it's possible. So let's, I mean, let's say you spent 500 bucks. Like what X of a return? That's about 1,000 X return, if my math is right. The hard part for me is I have to balance buying properties and selling properties because I buy everything. Oh no, it's a hundred percent return. Um, my bad. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. the The other part of the land business. Uh, so we can talk about like the downsides of it. So why? And let's do that because it doesn't sound like there's any. <laughs> yeah. So the downside, the biggest one, is banks don't finance on land. And the ones that do give you a very low evaluation of what they will finance it at. Um, so if you're wanting to make, like the, they're going to give you more close to the tax assessed value if they're loaning on it. So you have to find somebody who's going to be buying in cash or you have to sell it on a contract for deed. So that's where when I'm selling properties, I sell 75% of them on a contract for deed. And then I sell the other quarter of them uh, for cash. And then occasionally somebody will take a loan out in some regard and then do it that way. But for the most part, most people I'm selling to are going to be buying it on a contract for deed. And then the few that I'm buying in, are, are buying in cash. And that's what makes it difficult and harder to scale is because you have to balance how much money you have coming in from those sales versus if sure I could send out a thousand letters and, and get a hundred people that want to sell but I don't have enough money to buy a hundred properties at once and, and drop half a million dollars and hold that, that inventory and manage it and everything. So that's where it, the balance it comes in, where you have to kind of slowly scale it up where you're selling from a contract for deed, which is nice where you have a monthly income. I was about to say, well, I mean, you got seller financing. What kind of terms do you yeah. tend to be looking for then? You're looking for like yeah. a balloon in five years or do you, are you willing to carry it for 30? Uh, because I'm only doing it in that like 15 to 25 K price point, I can do it. Oh yeah. That's for, a good four or five year loan. I yeah. think it's 500 bucks a month for four years, something like that. And, uh, yeah, not, I don't have to balloon or anything. I usually get my money back. I'll do like a couple grand down on the property plus that, that monthly payment. So at most it takes a year to get my initial investment back on the property. Usually it's a few months. Um, and then after that, it's just cash flowing off of those properties. Okay. So the downside is you need some money up front. You yep. got to have some cash to buy the land. But if you have the cash, you could basically recycle it forever and turn it into more cash. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
so when, when you're selling the properties, you can sell for cash for almost all the properties, but I prefer to take the contract for deed option. Well, you charge interest. You're getting one, yeah, you can charge interest, um, but you're also, I don't even do it specifically with interest. I kind of just have like a monthly price. It's like, if you want to buy it on a cash, it's 15 grand. Um, if you want to do it on a contract for deed, it's like 500 a month for four and a half years or something. And we don't do interest. It's just pretty straight up it's 500 a month for this many years. And it's going to be significantly higher. Um, it's probably a lot higher interest rate than if I just had interest I was, rate. I was about to say, I'm sure you know the interest though. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, I like to make it simple. It's, this is what it's going to be. It's either cash price or this much a month for this many years. And then hmm. I suppose this varies by state, but isn't there a limitation on volume? I think in some areas, if you do a certain amount, like you have to disclose differently or am I, I might be wrong. I'm not a land guy. <laughs> or you mean like, like interest rates, like if you're doing, rates. if you like, I think in certain states, if you hit X amount of seller financing deals, you have to file, follow the same amount or the same laws that a bank would, which would means you would have to disclose yeah. annual percentage rates and things of that nature. I suppose yeah, that's not the case by you, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it depends. I know some states they have their, some states even have like an interest rate that you're supposed to follow as well when you're selling. Um, but yeah, it depends where you are. Interesting. Well, very cool stuff, man. I mean, thank you so much for sharing everything. You dropped some very important information. Anybody out there with like a few, like 10 grand, like you could start a business with like almost no overhead and just... <laughs> I mean, you'll yeah. have to take it slow. You'll take it slow, but it'll grow. Like, so there's not a, there's right. not a ton of businesses right. with this kind of upside with such a low overhead. Like, it's just crazy when I think about it. It's easy to get into. It's safe. It's just slow. So you'll grow it eventually. And I, I like it because I, I'm a pretty safe investor where I want to be safe with my money. Um, and take it slow. I could go take, <clears throat> take out a bunch of loans and try to blow it up quicker, but I just prefer to do it Dave Ramsey cash way. And that's how I do it. Makes a lot of sense. Do you ever buy it on seller financing and then wrap it up? Or I have. Um, a lot of, depends where you buy it from. Some counties will offer seller financing even. Um, and I'll do that until I find a buyer and then I'll pay it off and then I'll finance it out to somebody else. Um, but that's like, it's a good way to, to carry it over. It takes a month or two to market the property. So you're saving that initial investment right away until you find somebody to buy it. And then you can sell it that way. Uh, so you're, you're saving a couple thousand dollars, but when you're doing a lot of properties, it, it adds up where you have more money than to go and buy other properties and then find the buyer and then you can pay off the initial contract deed you bought it on. That's awesome, man. Thank you. I love talking to land people. I, I, I can't, I mean, I've interviewed like 170 people. Nobody else makes it sound easier than the land guys. And it's also like the least competitive one out of all of the niches. It's like, oh, wonderful That's, stuff. Yeah. I hope I was helpful. Like I said, it's my first podcast. I think I kind of talked all over the place, but you're good, man. Good info in there. Oh, I think there were some dimes, man. Anybody paying attention? They, I caught him. I caught him. So if I caught him, the listeners should. Um, Hunter, man, um, what's your vision for the next 12 months? Are you guys focused more on growing your 
direct mail company now, or are you trying to scale the real estate business at the same time? Yeah, uh, still main focus the real estate business. Uh, the direct mail is just kind of there to add in if, like I said, it subsidizes my marketing and it just more money that more cash that I have is more land that I can buy. But still, the main thing is the the real estate, the land, uh, just because that's where I'm getting better returns at. Uh, it's less time for me, so that's where I've been focused on just keeping to make sure my processes are the most straightforward. Um, maybe eventually, like you said, uh, if I can grow my team, but still keep the low overhead where I don't have to actually look at each individual deal, that might be a next step for me. But um, yeah, so far it's just been making sure the processes are, are going well. I'm just curious, because you're 25, I would say you're one of the younger folks I've interviewed on here. Like, what are your long-term plans? It's like, you could probably retire now if you wanted. Um, but that's, obviously, that's not something you want to do. I mean, I could tell you, I, I never really plan to retire. I have it on my wall. Like, I want to be ready in 27 months. But like, that's just ready. I need something to do. I would go crazy if I didn't have something to do. Um, but like, what are your plans? Do you want to retire? You want to keep growing? Do you have some grandiose dream? Or just give me an idea. No, it's probably to go into the other ventures of land. So there is like subdivision. Um, and that's one aspect that I've been looking at. It's just that currently what I'm doing right now, it's working. So why try something else? But eventually once I have done so many more deals and I have so much more money, that's something that I could look at doing. So that's, like I said, there's a lot of different things in land. I'm doing one niche of the niche, but you can do within city lots, you can commercial land there's lots of different types of land that you can make money off of but that's probably like the future for me somewhere. but i like doing right now i like i like the outdoors so i have a bunch of properties and when i'm not selling them i get to go camp on them or go to the lake on them that's so, yeah that's pretty cool. pretty cool that is pretty cool now oh, this is awesome man well yeah I, I feel like you're gonna get bored of it eventually but enjoy it while you got the ride um, cause I've yeah. gotten bored of every type of Avenue I've ever made money eventually just like, Oh my God, it's too easy. Um, <laughs> enjoy the ride, dude. Um, dude, I mean, I, I, I was not making a million bucks a year when I was 25. So congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, so cool, man. Anybody wanting to reach out if they wanted to use your direct mail service, even though you just told them how to do it themselves, yeah. what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah, it's directrei.com. Uh, but if you have any questions or anything, you can just message me on Instagram. It's Hunter Pogo, Hunter P-O-G-O. Um, if you have any questions about land or anything, I like talking about it. So feel free to message me. All right. There you have it, everybody. Hunter is willing to share. So reach out to him and um, use his service. I mean, it's cheap. I mean, it's you could do it yourself, but you're probably not even saving that much money, really, if he's only charging like a dollar and 40 cents. So do what's easier if you want. Um, <laughs> absolutely tremendous. Dude, Hunter, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, like Hunter just literally laid out a very low overhead plan for you to just go get it right now. So you have no excuses. You have seven days to reach out to Hunter or buy your own machine. And if you don't do so, it's your fault if you're not rich in a few years. So there you go. Um, <laughs> freedom is accomplished one action at a time. Go do it. And have a wonderful day.